Welcome to A View from the Ditch. It's a sunny Saturday afternoon and we're back after a few weeks hiatus. William is off enjoying the sunshine on South William Street. How are you doing, William? Um, that's a serious uh, allegation. I, uh, these days, uh, Tony Hoolan was very I don't upset. hear you, you refuting it, huh? He, well, he, he, the, the good doctor, Tony, was very... Uh, very upset by what he saw. And half the country. The cavorting on South William Street. Yeah, and uh, you only have yourself to blame, William. Um, but we've had some beautiful sun, and now it's back to politics. As uh, we've got, we've had loads going on. We've had uh, Ireland going out in its own on Palestine. We've had craziness around the Dublin Bay South by-election, and a whole host of other issues, COVID and the like. So. Before we get to some of that, there's been unfortunately some bad news uh, around Debenham. Yes, I suppose what what looks like the end of the dispute. Um, workers voted. Uh, it was announced on the twentieth of May. They voted again on the same proposals uh, as bef- as before. The three million so-called training education and startup fund uh, and on this occasion they voted to accept they were resoundingly rejected the last time that's right and uh, so there was a statement from mandate the union they said uh, we acknowledge this is not a perfect deal as it falls short of our members original demands however it represents the best achievable negotiated settlement under very difficult circumstances and there was an interview on the journal.ie with um, some of the shop stewards including uh, our previous guest, uh, Michelle Gavin. So in their words, um, Michelle said, it was all we were going to be offered and we had to accept that at some stage the strike was going to come to an end. What was disappointing was that they tried to make out that this was ring-fenced for us and it was something special, but it wasn't. Uh, Dell got a similar offer and so did Waterford Glass all those years ago. It has been offered to others. It has just been made to look like it's this wonderful thing tailored just for us. Uh, but we are not finished yet. Uh, another and uh, another of the shop stewards, uh, Valerie Valerie Conlon, uh, I beg your pardon. She said, "It's terrible. It's not an offer. It's three million to retrain a goodwill fund, but it's not an offer. But what we are concentrating on now is the legislation, and that's uh, what we want." And she was referring to a bill that was introduced in the Dáil by Mick Barry of Solidarity that would have protected uh, workers from. Uh, what he referred to as a retail massacre in the autumn when state supports are withdrawn. Uh, the reform uh, it would have brought in reforms of the liquidation process. So it Go seems on, to me that uh, the union is spinning this in a much more positive fashion than the shop stewards are. Yes, they're, they're using diplomatic sort of 
yeah, as you say, more positive language, which is perhaps what you would expect from a sort of official union press release, as opposed to someone speaking a bit more candidly in an interview. I guess so, but you would have thought, you know, given that it's over, they can express their frustration at, at essentially being backed into a corner, you know, without, uh, in, in more, in stronger terms. Like, they, they say kind of difficult circumstances, but you know, there's much more to it than that. Yeah, uh, the, the the statement from from mandate is is water, of, you might say, <laughs> conservatively worded. Yeah, and and like Michelle Gavin, you know the words the words she used in relation to that that offer of a three million training fund previously were along the lines of insulting, you know. Yeah, it is very insulting that they. It's essentially using propaganda to try to break the strike by pretending as if some the deal that they were entitled to anyway is some sort of special uh, you know uh, deal that, that that was made just for them as they just described it like you know, that's worse than nothing that's right and for a lot of these people yeah apart from anything else they had no interest in retraining they were they you know they've been working for decades and were just looking for uh, what they had negotiated you know, with the company uh, the negotiated redundancy package, um, and and as as Michelle put it, you know, she is skilled. They are skilled workers. They don't need to quote upskill, which is a word I hate, obviously, but that's the, one of the words that was attached to this fund. And obviously, this acceptance of of that offer comes in the context of the forcible removal of stock, uh, which we've seen really ramp up in r- recent weeks and months. Yeah, some of the images were pretty. Oh, shocking! Um, of large, large contingency in, contingency of Garda Kona assisting. Uh, oh, but anyway, assisting Debenhams and taking t- taking the stock. Yeah, the well, cover, the, well, the, the liquidator, the liquidator in this case, uh, KPMG. KPMG. Yeah, really, and really heavy-handed stuff. Uh, some of those those videos people will have seen. And I so when they say, so when they one. say that uh, the next. You know, there's a line in there something like we're not finished yet. Is that just to do with the legislation or is there something else they're angling for? Well, that seems to be the focus on, at the moment is, is a change in the law. Now, to come back to that, so what Mick Barry said was uh, this bill, this uh, solidarity bill would have changed the law to, quote, place workers in the front of the queue when it comes to making payments from liquidators, as is the case in Greece, France and Portugal. But... Mm. The government, you won't be surprised to hear, said, "Well, they call they uh, called for a debate on this legislation to be delayed for a year, pending its own legislation." Yeah. Uh, quote in a way that does not unduly impede enterprises in the conduct of their business. So, sounds like a, a repeat of our um, inter- our interactions or Bar- Barry's description of the tips bill. Yes, except even worse in this case, because they're talking about, you know, you've seen what's happened to the Debenhams workers after the fine words from Michal Martin last year about how it was a terrible situation and so on. And now the government is yeah. saying enhanced protection, yes, but, quote, in a way that does not unduly impede enterprise. Uh, that was Minister of State Damien English. Uh, he was he was also saying that the implementation of the Duffy Cahill report uh, wouldn't have prevented the issues with Debenhams in this situation, which is disputed uh, by the Debenhams workers representatives uh, so uh, and Robert Troy um, 
who's a Westmead man. Yes. Um, who's and junior minister officer. for enterprise. It was considered obviously as just down the road, actually, from me as we speak. Uh, he, but he said, uh, he's a junior minister uh, in that department. Obviously, he said the government has done all it can to ensure that the work um, that the former evidence workers' legal rights and entitlements were vindicated, and it recognised. Yes, give him a piece of your mind. And it recognised the significance of the situation. So I, I think it's fair to say that fair to say that the Debenhams workers do not accept that assertion or that narrative. Uh, they feel totally shafted by the government. Yeah. And uh, it seems like the best they can hope for now is that it doesn't happen again, but it even seems unlikely that the government will be like, will, will do much on that end. But you never know, the next government might. Yeah. And again, and, and you know, as has been emphasised by the shop stewards, you know they weren't striking out of like narrow self-interest it was it was about the rights of workers in general and the injustice of the of the situation that no one else would have to be have to be faced with that yeah so well i guess we'll keep an eye on that in the long term but for now that's the end of uh that story so it appears other stuff that we've been missing while you were on South William Street was uh, a major conflict in the Middle East. Um, Just want to clarify that James is is being facetious here. I've been in sunny <laughs> Mullingar. Uh, oh yeah, I have not been. Anywhere, they near, anywhere near they, South yeah, They've had a bit of a pedestrian pedestrianisation of Mullingar, but jeez, uh, I I don't know if they of. have. Well, they've created one way systems, yeah, and they've widened the footpaths, which was in, in anticipation yeah. of the FLA, which I obviously ended up being delayed. Yeah. Anyway, anyway. Um, but yeah, so uh, in response to uh, what was happening in Israel and Palestine for the last few weeks, the Irish government has made a somewhat radical move for a Western country and declared, uh, Israel's actions in the West Bank as de facto annexation. Is that an accurate depiction or description? That's right, yeah. The first EU country to do so, um, to recognise Israel's de facto annexation of Palestinian territory. Uh, Unsurprisingly, there was an angry reaction from Israel's foreign ministry to this. Uh, They described it as outrageous and baseless. Uh, but interestingly, you know, there was there was unanimous agreement on that that motion, which was a Sinn Féin motion. And it was reported that uh, just b- before the vote took place, cabinet, a cabinet meeting was held and they agreed to back the Sinn Féin proposal if there was a reference included to violence on all sides in the conflict. And uh, yeah, um, so all uh, sides of the House... Uh, of the doll uh, in agreement there uh, and it does um it is you know it, it echoes uh the view the positions of mainstream human rights organizations now like there was a report released in april by human rights watch um which used the word apartheid for the first time in relation to israel which is obviously something a word that's been used by i let's say, by pro-Palestinian activists for a long time, but now you're having Human Rights Watch, which is 
you know, not a not a radical organization, which is a mainstream human rights organization, and similarly, Beth Selim, the Israeli uh, human rights organization. And uh, the other aspect, so there was an amendment to the motion proposed by PBP uh, to expel the Israeli ambassador, and that was rejected. Uh, that that got support. Uh, that was rejected by eighty-seven votes to forty-six. So it got support from Sinn Fein from the Social Democrats, and I believe from some of the rural independents as well, but yeah. not from the government parties and uh, not from Labour. And there's been a bit of a row in the Labour Party about this. Uh, it was reported by Aoife Moore in the Examiner that Labour is going to hold an emergency meeting over uh, the, the vote against the amendment to expel the Israeli ambassador. As, as senior because I believe... Go on, sorry. Well, I just, having watched Twitter at the time, it seemed like it was the case that Labour youth had been campaigning on the issue for, for uh, a while and were left frustrated uh, to see Labour vote against it. Yeah, a senior source um, in the party told Aoife Moore that members have reacted with fury uh, and said, quote, a lot of members are pissed off about it. It transcends all categories, but most vocally against it has been Labour youth. Uh, sorry, went on to say... The feeling was the motion would not pass anyway because the government had the numbers to defeat it, but we could still be on the right side. People see it as a betrayal and it doesn't do us any favours, given the perception of the party anyway and the polling. Um, which a senior amazing. source said that? Yes, someone described as a senior source. Interesting. Uh, so, oh, this senior source also said it could hurt Ivana Bacic in the Dublin South by-election. So obviously Labour is polling... Yeah, Labour's po national polling has been uh, flat. Well, the, the national polling has been terrible, but well, we'll come back to the Dublin Bay South by election. But people are talking up Ivana Bacic for Dublin Bay South. But, um, Indeed. I imagine gonna, you, you would thro throw cold water on that. Why would you imagine that? No, no. I'm. Uh, anyway. Really. Uh, on, on a related note, I'm in Sligo at the moment, and there was a, uh, I'm in a very, quite a rural part of Sligo called Eastkey, and uh, there was a Palestinian flag flying from uh, an old uh, watchtower here that usually is an Irish flag. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, there does seem to be, um, I mean, you would have to see, I don't know, some kind of research on this, but there does seem to be a very strong identification with the Palestinian cause in Ireland yeah um, big time and there were massive well, and on a related, demonstrations on a related note I uh, watched the episode of The Crown last night where Lord Mountbatten uh, gets blown up in Sligo <laughs> yeah okay and and any thoughts on how they how that was portrayed yeah. it, it's definitely bias it, it's 75-25 pro, pro British Empire I would say I see. But you're a fan of the crown, are you? Oh, very good. It's excellent. I'm a big fan. All right. Would recommend. Should you watch a few episodes yourself? I, I yeah, uh? not many. Not, <laughs> not out by my own uh, initiative. But anyway. Anywho. Yeah, it is interesting to see that Ireland, uh, well, I assume a lot of it comes from, like, do you reckon it comes from us being an occupied territory for so long? Uh, definitely, yeah. I think the post-colonial legacy is a big part of that. Okay, and you see it as well. 
you know, in the Scottish independence movement, I assume you see a lot of Palestinian flags in Celtic. Yeah. Uh, there's still the matter of um, the Occupied Territories Bill, which... Yeah, which uh, did, did it pass? In it, the passed, it passed all stages, um, but... A money message was put on it. Yeah, was put on it on the basis that the, some legal advice was cited uh, uh, to do with um, European trade law, I think. I'd have to... It'd be interesting, because I imagine the Green Party and Fianna Fáil would be averse to a bill like that. They voted well, in favour well, of it. Well, we'll they? see. And well, well um, Dara Kaliri from Fianna Fáil said, uh, reportedly told a parliamentary party meeting that he wants to see the Occupied Territory, Territories Bill put back on the agenda. That's uh, Dara Kaliri of Golfgate fame, of course. Of course. You could forget. So, so yeah. other than that, has there been anything else before we get on to the, the big by-election? That'll probably take up a lot of our time over the next few weeks. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the, the plot uh, definitely... For better or worse. It's thickened in Dublin Bay South. But, yeah, but just before uh, I should just mention um, a development in a story that we devoted a couple of episodes to previously, which is the Mother and Baby Homes Commission of Investigation. Uh, so the commissioners themselves declined to appear before the committee previously. That was Judge Yvonne Murphy, uh, who chaired it, and but also... Um, the other commissioners, uh, Dr. Mary Daly, the historian, and um, William Duncan. Which is very uh, peculiar. Like, you think they'd be compelled to, to come before the committee? Yeah, well, they weren't obliged to uh, legally because it was an independent body. Um, okay. You think something set up by, you know, government would be accountable to them? Or at least they're, they're different... even if they're independent, they can independently respond to questions. It's a part of transparency. I know. I I think I think a lot of people were very critical uh, at the time of that refusal um, to answer, especially given the the criticism of the report, which we can come back to again. But like we discussed that with Sarah Taff McGuire and obviously the likes of Maeve Rourke, and there were actually, I think, um, there were over a hundred academics who signed a letter criticizing the final report. So it was in that context that Jesus. people were, you know, quite upset, uh, and and indeed, you know, survivors uh, that that the the commissioners wouldn't go before an Oireachtas committee to explain themselves. But then the other day, it, it emerged that Mary Daly was attending a, an Oxford seminar to discuss the report. So, Mary Daly was the head of the commissioner's investigation. Not the not the chair, but she, she yeah she was one of the commissioners. Like the she was an expert. Uh, um, and and uh, so the committee, the the Oireachtas, uh, Children's Committee, has sent a new invitation to those uh, commissioners to appear before it. And uh, the chair, uh, Kathleen Funchen, said that members are frustrated and angry that Mary Daly appeared at that event at Oxford discussing the report when none of the commissioners uh, would come before the committee. Yeah, she said quite interesting stuff, which is essentially that they didn't use any of the testimony of the witnesses because it, it wasn't uh, collected, you know, in under, under oath, oath. Yeah. or 
or or challenged the way it would be in order to meet a like a legal standard necessary. Yeah, and 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 that. Yeah, and then I saw Catherine Corliss on the news and, and was saying, you know, this, you know, survivors feel based on that that it was a waste of their time speaking, you know, yeah. to the commission, which was traumatic. They deserve to know itself. that. Yeah. The only thing is, like, you know, like maybe it didn't it, it didn't exactly happen in a simple way. I imagine they started having people, and then they got because apparently they were legal challenges sent to them. Um. Yeah, no I, who fear, might have sent those legal challenges for fear of more legal challenges? Not that we, not that the Pope has listened to us or anything. But anyway, um, but, <laughs> you, you think it was Opus Day? Uh, but well, no. The, the, I mean, there were certainly the the fear of legal action. Um, was the uh, is, is is what they're they're citing as the reason behind this? But but again, survivors, some survivors certainly feel that they were misled deliberately or otherwise as to how their testimony was going to be used and yeah. you know preparing to give this testimony i'm you know would have been for many people if not everyone you know a very traumatic thing in itself so um yeah and also just an important thing for them you know i'm sure for someone it felt like they were making a contribution and and maybe it would change or inform people in, in the future about what happened yeah and i just saw that there was an op-ed in the irish examiner by Mairead enright who who is a legal uh, scholar and she said she said in relation to that argument about um threat of legal action it is clear that the commission disregarded key evidence and left half of its budget unspent rather than incorporate key oral evidence into its investigative process professor daly repeatedly invoked the commission's terms of reference on a constraint as a constraint on her work, but uh, Marilyn right here is saying that she's misrepresenting the legal situation in uh, in saying that uh, quote she's confused about the legal standards that apply to the commission's use of unsworn oral testimony. Put simply, different principles apply to finding to findings of a general nature than apply to detailed findings of serious wrongdoing by specific individuals or organisations. So again, I think this is. A topic that uh, deserves uh, a deeper discussion on our part with someone more intimately acquainted with it, and I, I, you might hear that in the near future. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if there are more twists. Seems likely there are. Um, I think we should possibly move on to the exciting. What Dublin everyone's Bay been South. waiting for, William. Yeah, the Dublin Bay South by-election. discuss the Dublin Bay South by-election uh, let, let me remind our listeners to get in touch uh, we're always looking to hear your comments, criticisms and uh, compliments 
You can get us on at AVFTD Radio on Twitter or a view from the ditch at gmail.com. William will be monitoring those uh, emails and tweets closely. That's right. So, lots been happening in the uh, Dublin Bay South Club by election. Um, um, what's cracking? Well, State of play, huh? there's been a lot going on in Dublin Bay South. Um, it's going to be an interesting by election, I think. So, when last we spoke, um, it was clear that the Fine Gael candidate was going to be James Gagan and Labour had selected a Van yeah. Bacic. And uh, Jim O'Callaghan had announced that he was going to be Fianna Fáil's director of elections with a, um, you know, whimsical little Twitter video. And then they released another whimsical video with accompanied by the Mission Impossible theme where they announced that their candidate was going to be one Deirdre Conroy. And, uh, team team uh, DC. Is that, oh, is that what? Oh, team they, D. No, no, Team yeah. Deirdre, TD. Yeah, I mean, people, oh yeah, people need to look this up. It was really embarrassing. Well, apparently, the, the, the running theory now, because they've done another one since that one, and the running theory, I think, now is that it's on purpose. It's, it's um, purposely embarrassing. Yeah, I, 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 I think that's um, probably the most charitable interpretation. Um, and it could be could be the case, but I have to say, they <laughs> questions uh, arise are, are arising about the their actual selection of the candidate more so than their social media strategy at this point. So it emerged during the week that Deirdre Conroy. So Deirdre Conroy is a uh, she's a current councillor, Dublin City Council uh, for Kimmage Rath Mines. She's a barrister, another one. Um, and she said, just to give you a bit of background, she said she joined Fianna Fáil in 2018 because, in her words, because of Micheál Martin's, quote, brave explanation of his late-day decision to back the repeal of the Eighth Amendment. Which, <laughs> that's, a, well, that's a mad way of joining Fianna Fáil. That yeah, is which, a weird way of joining Fianna Fáil. Why, why do you say that? Well, because, you know, Repeal was thought of as a you know big recruiter in terms of people in pol- and politics and and but Fianna Fáil were the ones who uh, were the most um, I suppose unclear in their views about it. If anything, they were clear the other way. Yeah, and a majority of their party, parliamentary party were strongly opposed to repeal. A, a, a majority yeah, of the like if you're going to join a party, you need yeah. if you're going to join a party, you need to think about whether. About the long term, and it just seems mad to join Fianna Fáil, especially when you know other parties are so much more about repeal. Like, um, yeah, the Sock Dems, who, who, you know, the Sock Dems, obviously people for profit, uh, Labour, even, yeah, Labour, even Sinn Fein, you know, it's weird, yeah, it's Fianna Gael, even. Well, you would think if you felt that strongly about repeal, you would have jo- joined a party led by someone who, um, you know, had had backed it all along, rather than someone who did a U turn. Uh, the, uh, in the run up to the referendum, but, no, but maybe she, maybe she, uh, ha, ha, well, maybe because a lot of people, maybe in, in middle aged people, did the same thing and uh, felt bad, were against it for a long time, and then during the referendum changed their mind. Mm-hmm. You need to be careful. So maybe making, she felt a bit of making generalizations about <laughs> middle aged people. That's true. Well, well, that, I think that that was a, uh, a cliched analysis of the referendum. Yes. Well, we try to avoid cliches on this show, I would have thought. Not me. Isn't our, <laughs> sure, our, the name of our show isn't really a cliche. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. That's true. Or it certainly draws on a cliche. But yeah. 
Deirdre Conroy. Um, anyway, she. Uh, well, anyway, that's a, a inauspicious start. Um. Yeah, it's a strange it reason. To, it's a strange reason to join Fianna Fáil, as you say, because a majority of them actually opposed abortion rights and opposed the referendum even taking place. But that's all by the by. That because the big, the bigger story is that it emerged during the week that she had kept a blog from 2013 to 2014 entitled Diary of a Dublin Landlady. And uh, some of the posts uh, on that blog are really quite embarrassing and I would say damning. Um, Not embarrassing enough for her to take them down. No, no, the site is still up. You can Anyone who wants to can have, go have a look there. Um, but we, we can link it on Twitter uh, for anyone who's interested. And so it involves, so essentially she was talking about, she the blog, I was having a, um, I was browsing through it, at the blog archive there before. Uh, You're a fan. Before this. Well, a lot of it is, is not that interesting, you know, but um, she has an architectural background and, and so she blogs a little bit about that. But also, but a lot of it is about is about her tenants. Um, she, she was renting out a couple of rooms in her in her home at that time. And there are various kind of complaints about the tenants, like one of uh, one of them wanting to have the heating on uh, at night at night. Um, there's a complaint. She she says at one point that um, she in future, she might not let her tenants cook because it's annoying that they use the kitchen. And uh, in particular, the house smelled of what was it, oats and, uh, uh, yeah, uh, something else, yeah. And and in particular, uh, she said, oh yeah, she complained about them wanting to have guests over. These are people; these are paying tenants. Like anyway, uh, uh, she, um, one Latvian tenant, she said she complained about the smell of his cooking and said, "quote It's better to stick with what you know if you have to share your house." The implication being, presumably, let it to an Irish person. Um, and she was with, also giving out about that person taking uh, taking child benefit for their child back in Latvia, which is their right to do. Applying, applying um, for child benefit, yeah. And giving out that you know that wasn't going to be spent on Irish uh, clothes or Irish food. And now, so she has come out and said she's addressed it. Um, really, I didn't in regards to this blog, yes. Yeah, so she said. She was in financial distress. She said that the diary was written, quote, in a lighthearted manner. Uh, and she said that the passage <laughs> the passage in which she said, said she might rent out her linen cupboard to a student was, quote, a lighthearted reference. She said... I thought, I thought she actually went through the practicalities of that and had moved her son out of, uh, into the linen cupboard at one stage. Well, she said, yeah, she said that was that was a lighthearted reference. And um, <laughs> she said uh, she was not in any way trying to suggest that people from Latvia were bad tenants. I had one bad experience with a tenant who happened to be from Latvia, she said. But, quote, she is a very inclusive person. Uh, as long as and, it's what she knows. And she no longer uh, rents her spare room. Now, I have to say, this is extremely... Um, damning and possibly even disqualifying an election that's taking place in the context of a housing crisis and housing is one of the major issues in this campaign and she's here complaining in that constituency in that constituency in particular yes and she this blog 
in which she's complaining about her tenants wanting to do things like cook and be warm and have friends over or and also the blatant xenophobia of the the comment about the latvian tenant uh what do you think james can uh, can deirdre conroy recover from that <laughs> well then uh, and then on top of that she's had uh, as of yesterday a uh, kind of maria bailey moment so oh it's it feels like there might be more, even more where, where this came from it feels indeed this like and you, in the space the, a few days yeah so so for people who haven't seen this um, the Irish Times is reporting that she has taken legal action over a 2015 skiing accident because she <laughs> alleges that her guide did not watch her going down the slopes. Uh, and that it, and that she'd warned that it was icy to the guide. Yeah. And um, she... It was in Andorra, uh, uh, who Ireland uh, uh, great win over in soccer the other night, um, <laughs> and so there. Yeah, there are details of the incident. But basically, she's she's complaining that, or she, rather, she's she's alleging that the instructor failed to properly monitor her in quote dangerous conditions, and she also it also says here. Uh, as like she she's describing some of the consequences of her injuries. I think she had to have a hip replacement. But she it also says here her claim also states she had to trade her Mercedes <laughs> car for an automatic model as she could no longer drive a manual due to the injury. And I think that is really tugging at the heartstrings, isn't it? I mean, yeah, like oh, it's it, it's very. Yeah, especially given the last year with Maria Bailey, it's not a good, uh, it's not a good. And even she, I think she was even engaged with Josepha Madigan's firm for a while about the case. It says that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so just not a good look for uh, a, a politician. No, well, maybe though, yeah, like you know, a hip replacement's pretty serious, and you have to have some. You know, it's not, it's not nothing compared to the the Maria Bailey one was a lot worse in terms of consequences in that she didn't seem to have many issues. And was like doing a half marathon like a few weeks later, but uh, yeah, and maybe to... there maybe there is a you know like maybe there will be a lot of voters out there who are sympathetic for someone having to trade in their Mercedes. <laughs> that could be well, that could actually you, could I'll be a vote one. I'll, I'll give you someone who is might be a voter in that constituency. So Michael O'Regan said, uh, "Let us draw a deep breath here." This was a woman under financial pressure attempting to save her house, pay her mortgage, and provide for her children. That's in relation to the the. That was in relation the, to the. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I find. Uh, let's take a breath with him. Maybe you need to take a breath. Yeah, I I probably do, but, um, I think. You know what? What's a bit of xenophobia when, in that context? Uh, yeah, I know. I find that a bit strange from Michael O'Regan. I have to say. Um, <laughs> I wonder, would he extend the same um, latitude to, and the same forgiving attitude to uh, parties of a different, uh, let's say elsewhere on the the spectrum, yes. Who knows? But the, yeah, just the idea of a barrister suing, like, you couldn't write it really, barrister suing a, 
a travel company or, or a ski instructor or whatever it is on a pay holiday was paid for she was a travel journalist at the time by a travel company and and in her complaint giving out that she had to trade in her mercedes yeah like it's just not a good it's not exactly a woman of the people oh yeah one of the actually one of the other kind of embarrassing things in her blog was that she said in in there was a blog post about the shannad uh, the proposed abolition of the shannad and you know she addressed she was but she was in favor of um, retaining the shannad and yeah, she was talk, talking about the, the charge of elitism and she said um oh maybe we should have uh, oh yeah maybe the doll needs quote more so-called elite and she said quote by that she she referred to quote professionally qualified practitioners industrialists thinkers and doers and less school teachers on long-term leave so a dig at school teachers <laughs> there and also yeah, there's no barristers on long-term leave saying the doll needs more elitism uh well <laughs> that she she seems to be trying to justify her own candidacy on that basis more barristers there's not fucking loads of those in the doll yeah i don't think there's a shortage of listeners i don't think there's a shortage of the the uh social and economic elite in the doll i have to say but anyway, this was she claims it was all in jest. So we'll see if the electorate of Dublin Vice is willing. It's pretty it. funny and fair to steer. Willing to buy that? Yeah, it's given us a few a few laughs. <laughs> so you know, she did a good job. Maybe it's like a elaborate, um, you know, kind of uh, artistic installation. Oh yeah, and I want to say actually the first the social place, commentary with him. Uh, yeah, sort of performance art piece. Exactly. Um, like, uh, would you say that her whole candidacy is purely satirical? Yeah, it's like one of those joke candidates you have in college, or um, Count Buckethead, or whatever. His name is. Yeah, yeah. In Britain, you see them all the time, the monstrating loony party, and uh, <laughs> yeah. Count. Count this time, she's gone one step further and actually joined a major party. You were kind of becoming a joke. Yeah, well, Jim O'Callaghan, that that political heavyweight, Jim O'Callaghan, is really showing his uh, his acumen here, isn't he? Uh, with the selection of Deirdre <laughs> Conroy. Um, oh, he must be raging. Yeah. Anyway, uh, no comment from him that I've seen. But um, anyway, we'll see. Uh, but, I, oh yeah, just finally on that, I wanted to say that the first place I saw this um, story reported was uh, a blog called The Ditch. And I want to oh, just yeah. clarify that we're not affiliated to them in any way. And uh, also, we came up with our name before them because we did. They, they're. Um, I just see that they're. They only launched this year, so although they're well just, ahead of us on the scoops. Just scoops want to get front. that out there. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, fair dues to them on this one. Um, uh, that's all. So, but just uh, continuing with the the runners and riders in Dublin Bay South, I want to come back to uh, the Fine Gael candidate James Gagan, who Your we favorite. spoke. We spoke about a little bit last time. So James Gagan, uh, we talked about his association with Renewa and so on. Um, and he has kind of hit back at what he sees as negative campaigning against him. He came out and said in an interview that he's, quote, not a posh barrister. Now, I, I want you to consider whether you think that claim would stand up in court, that he's not a posh barrister. Because... Because it's tautological. Oh, well, so no. So first of all, he admits to being a barrister, so that part is not in dispute. And yeah. as for posh, 
Uh, Exhibit A. He was. He's okay. a barrister. Well, no, no. Okay, the barrister <laughs> thing is separate. He he admits to being a barrister. He doesn't deny that. Sec. Okay, whether he's posh, you can judge for yourself. Maybe. Wait, 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 hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Go on. Wait, wait. Maybe he's not a posh barrister. He's not saying he's not posh. He's just saying as barristers go, he's not posh. Well, well, I can leave, I'm going to just present a few facts here and see leave listeners to judge for themselves. He was educated. We, we see what I'm getting at. You know, yeah, okay. You the might... Point is taken. But but again, <laughs> again, I'll, I'll leave it up to listeners. He he went to Gonzaga, a fee-paying mm. school, many of Ireland's uh, upper crust uh, have gone. He is, both his parents were Supreme Court justices. And two of Jesus. his two of his grandparents also were. Oh my god! Um, and so, I mean, if that doesn't make that's him posh, posh, that's powerful. If that doesn't make him posh, uh, also he's touted in his local election literature because he is a Dublin city councillor. Uh, in his local ele- election literature in 2019, he he touted the fact that both his pair, uh, two of his grandparents, were uh, lived lived in Donnybrook. So. He also bought a house with his wife worth over seven hundred thousand euro. Yeah, in his thirties. Okay. So if that doesn't make him posh, then I, frankly, I have no idea who would qualify. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, well, I don't know. You haven't like posh is is more. You know, you can have. Can you is, can you have lots of money and not be posh? I think so. That's yeah. That's I a more interesting. Posh people would. I, I I think certainly posh people would 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 say that because they wouldn't want any old gobshite just turning joining their ranks. That's true. Uh, there is the whole Lottery question. Of, doesn't make you posh. That, that's true. There's the whole question of new and old money, but from the sense that he's rich and powerful. Yeah, but this is what I'm saying. The the guy is, uh, like I said, two of his grandparents were Supreme Court judges, so he's not a he's not a member of the nouveau riche. But anyway, that leave, let's leave that aside for a second. <laughs> um, I wanted to come on to a, a, to be honest. Uh, claim that I think is even less credible than the suggestion that he's not a posh barrister, which is that he said, quote, I am a person who is liberal and progressive. Now, this is a guy who was a founding member of Renewa, and he said, so he said, quote, I certainly don't share any of the social views that I suppose that party uh, subsequently became associated with. Now that's a misleading exactly. Yeah, that's a misleading statement because it wasn't subsequent. They the were party, founded on so their social values. Precisely. They were founded by people who were exiled from Finnegale because uh, they were anti-choice. They they opposed the protection of life during pregnancy. But so to say that they subsequently became associated with socially conservative views is totally misleading. He goes on to say that he mentions the fact that he voted uh, on the liberal side in every single referendum that I've had an opportunity to vote in, including the citizenship referendum in 2004. Now, that's impossible to prove or disprove, and therefore is, is totally unreliable as a piece of uh, evidence. So that, and, you know, and he says, he, he mentions his, he says the reason he joined Renewa was his personal loyalty, loyalty to Lucinda Crichton. <clears throat> but frankly, I don't find it plausible that you would be so loyal to Lucinda Crichton, unless you've, you, to a greater or lesser extent, shared her politics, which were of the far right on Irish politics, in in on the Irish political spectrum. Yeah, and, and from the 
Yeah, he, and he seems to be he, he seems to be kind of uh, doing this new Fine Gael triangulation thing, you know, where he where it's supposed to, you know, kind of have a slick campaign, but say very little about what you believe in, you know, the fifteen minute city bullshit. Not that, that that's a great idea, but well, not a great. Idea, it, it seems like a good idea, but he, you know, he he's just kind of throwing at stuff that he doesn't have that much belief in, but that are vague and seem kind of nice. Uh, well, yeah, but know, he, it seems to be that. Here he actually is claiming, uh, you know, political positions. Well, that's true, yeah. In a sense. Well, but, part of, sorry, part of that Slick Fine Gael model is to be socially liberal. Yeah, but I mean, this guy, to, <clears throat> like I said, how he's claiming to be socially liberal, but he was a founder member of the most socially conservative party uh, that's been represented in the Dáil in recent times. And that, you know... <clears throat> was founded on the basis of opposition to abortion rights. Now, he also... Uh, now, now he says he doesn't share Lucinda Crichton's views on abortion, but I, I, I find it very strange that you would, you would found, co-found the party on that basis. Now, he also said that he would be... And again, he's playing up to his youth, you know, he's, 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 his relative youth. He's 35 years old. He said that he'd be a voice for a generation locked out of the housing market. Um, you know, a voice for the, um, you know, you know uh, generation rent, as some people have called it. And as you said, this is a guy who owns his own home. Uh, so... Very home. <clears throat> yeah. So, that's James Gagan. Um, he... Now, Gale, you know, Gale, Paul, give us some doozies. Well, Fine Gael, you know, in the... Bef- Prior to when, when Owen Murphy resigned, you would have thought this was this was a constituency, and again, based on polling and everything else, this was a constituency where they would be likely to walk a by-election. Um, but um, now you don't think he's a strong candidate. Um, well, I, the strength, his strength as a candidate, I don't, I, I don't know that. I, I would have to defer to someone who has more of a, a sociological uh, understanding of Dublin Bay South. Um, but I, I'm just, I suppose, pointing out some some relevant things about him, him and and his politics, uh, from a broader uh, point of view. Anyway, we shall see. Uh, and One other interesting thing to note with him and his, you know, the the socially liberal but economically conservative thing is is Leo Varadkar coming out and saying that the new changes to local property tax will actually be a benefit to them in Dublin Bay South because the tax will lower for houses worth over 1 million euro. Yes, and as someone uh, pointed out on Twitter, that's a nice example of someone saying the quiet part loud. Yeah. Like It feels like Varadkar wasn't supposed to admit that. Um, yeah, but he, yeah. Did he say it in a parliamentary meeting? Anyway, where did he say it? But I agree. He needs to get it out. He needs to get it, get it out to the people of Dublin Bay South. He was. It was. He said it reportedly at a parliamentary party meeting. Yeah, exactly. So that's the, that is a quiet place, technically. Yes, although they always leak. Like, yeah. You, you, if you're saying something at a part, Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael parliamentary party meeting, you might as well just say it directly to the press. Yeah. Um. Might as well have a press release. Any other interesting candidates? Hey, Claire Burns pipped Hazel Shoe in what seems like a. I don't know. Uh, I suppose it's an establishment choice. Why would you say that? 
Well, Claire Byrne worked in Eamon Ryan's constituency office for several years and Hazel Hughes been pissing everyone off in the party by uh, running as an independent in the Shannon. Yes. Yeah, which we discussed before. I think this is one of those things... And voting against coalition. Vote, yes, of course, opposing coalition. The thing is, Hazel Chu was the, I believe, the top voter getter in the country in the 2019 local elections. So it seems to me if she, ha- if it weren't for that Shannon run, yeah, she would have had a, which, which um, upset the party leadership. She would have had a very strong chance of being the candidate in this case. The only thing is, Claire Byrne has been a councillor in that area for a very long time. and Only since 2014, yeah. I think. That's a lot longer than Hazel Two's been a councillor. Well, it's one, ter- it's one term longer. Seven so, years is a long time. Anyway. Okay, okay. And, but, but on but, top of that, she's worked in Eamon Ryan's constituency office. Uh, yeah, well, that might not necessarily so, be a good thing. Like, I, um, I just yeah. saw there was a good, uh, a very good blog post on the, the Irish election projections site, which I've cited before. And, where, and, and he, he, lo- he did a kind of a dive into um, party le- leader approval ratings. And the one consistent trend across, um, you know, cross tabs is that Eamon Ryan is doing extremely badly. Uh, people are, voters, the electorate is not, not happy with Eamon Ryan. So closeness what to Ryan Green, what, is not necessarily... But Green Party members are definitely not representative of the electorate. No, but the point I'm saying, the point I'm making is her closeness to Ryan is not necessarily an asset in this by-election. It may have helped her win the selection, if that's what if that's what you're saying. Oh, it's not going to help her with the by-election, but it definitely helped her with the selection. I see, yeah, yeah. But if your objective is to is to pick a candidate who's going to win the by-election, uh, I'm yeah, just suggesting. Now, I'm not saying she may she may be a fine candidate on her own merits. I I don't know. I I don't really know much about her one way or another. Seems like a good egg to me. But uh, yeah, the one big thing I'm looking forward to is hopefully an interview with Deirdre Conroy at some point. I really think that could uh, that could be fun. Yeah, well, people are making comparisons with Maria Bailey, but the thing with with Maria Bailey was. It wasn't just the incident; it was her disastrous handling of it on the, the, the Sean O'Rourke in, interview, which was an unauthorized interview. She went on the radio against the <laughs> express uh, wishes of uh, the, the press office of her party. Yeah, I guess she'll probably be briefed within a lot about it, so she'll probably manage to squeeze out of it without making a fool of herself. But we'll see. Yeah. Um, other candidates, uh, Sinn Féin have confirmed that their candidate is, is going to be Lynn Boylan, um, which, ma- which makes things interesting. Yeah, obviously a nationally known face and, and name. She is their spokesperson on climate justice. Uh, now, she's not, a, she's not local to the constituency. She's from Tala. Well, she grew, she was born in the constituency. Um, is that right? Well, she grew up in Tala, though. And uh, she, um, ac- according to the Sinn Féin website, she she grew up in Tala. Really. And so and so, it was always thought, yeah, she was likely to be a doll candidate in the future, but but in the Dublin Southwest uh, constituency. Um, but obviously, the timing uh, of this by-election means it's a kind of an important one for Sinn Féin. So. 
Yeah, they'd be hoping to do well. It'd be strong, very interesting to see how well she does. A strong candidate, yeah. Uh, so uh, there's a suggestion, as we said, that the date hasn't been set for the by-election yet, but there's a suggestion it might happen this summer uh, in July. That has to be agreed by the coalition parties. Other candidates, uh, the Sock Dems have selected Sarah Durkin, who was their candidate in the general election in that constituency. And she is apparently former board member um, of the Abbey Theatre. Oh. So. Uh, how did she do in the last election? She did, uh, she did quite well. She. Oh. It does seem like a sock well, friendly constituency. I say, I say quite well. I mean, she, uh, considering the Sock Dems are a relatively new party uh, and so on. She got um, uh, 4.6% of the vote and was eliminated uh, at the sixth count. Came just, yeah. Um, and they seem to, they've got a better profile now with more TDs and, and, and their polling seems to be going slightly up. Polling trends have been, have been good for them recently, yeah. So it'll be, inter- it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting test for the talk Dems. Any other candidates you want to mention before we wrap up? Um... Well, uh, no, uh, no, no sign of your friend uh, Michael McDool, um, no. Peter Peter Dooley, who's an independent uh, former PPP guy, is running. Mannix Flynn, uh, Dublin City Councillor, and Ivana Bachik, uh, yeah, Ivana Bachik for Labour, who who I think we mentioned before, and Bridget Purcell for PPP. So yeah, I'm sure we'll be revisiting this uh, in the near future. Better be reading, getting into some blog posts so we can scoop the ditch. Yeah. Right, it's been fun. We'll be chatting to you again soon. All right. That's it for this week. If you want to get in touch, it's a view from the ditch at gmail.com. And our theme music, as always, was performed by Natalie Nikasinja and Irla O'Donnell. Thanks for listening.